0: Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we will be discussing the legends book, Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void. And that's a mouthful. Written by Tim Leben. My name is Beth Van Dusen. And of course, with me as always are Chad Schonk
1: and Ryan Schweck. First, over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book. So we will assume that you will have done the reading or just don't care. We're also going to spoil the comics that are related to this book and maybe anything else Star Wars. If you're sensitive about those things, this has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, it seems like it's been kind of slow.
2: It has been. You know, I think we're kind of in a lull between shows. Marvel, Dizzy seems to be focusing a little bit on Marvel right now. But there's been some things here and there.
1: Can we just stop the podcast for like four hours and talk about WandaVision? Damn
2: right. (laughs) Yeah, so good. And I'm so glad all these stupid people who had all these dumb theories about three comics they've read totally got ruined and (laughs) was completely wrong. It's not House of M it's not Mephisto, read West Coast Avengers and you would know none of that was going to
1: happen. Stop it. Stop using the hive mind that is the internet to try to figure out shows. Mm -hmm. Because all you're doing is you're setting expectations for yourself. Let people tell their stories and then judge them afterwards. It used to be okay. My brother and I used to call each other after every Breaking Bad or my buddy Seth and I would call each other after every episode of Lost. But that was just us two numbskulls and we were always wrong. But with the internet and with Reddit that's so many processors on the same problem at the same time, if it's a well-constructed story, if you have enough, put enough power behind it, it's pretty easy to solve it. Let them tell you the story. Don't get obsessed with what you think is going to happen. Podcasts that come up the day after the show goes up and all they're talking about is the theories. And it's like, it just gets all wrapped up in your head and you get to the end. WandaVision had a perfect ending. And some people were like, ah, I was underwhelming. I'm like, you just, it just wasn't surprising for you because it was the ending it was supposed to have.
2: And I'll say, I mean, related to Star Wars, I've totally been guilty about that. Aftermath did it to me to Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I wanted something that was never going to happen, and I built in my head. But the WandaVision people, they went nuts.
1: They went way too far. It was just a great show. And, and I know plenty of people who have never touched a comic who love the show from start to finish, no questions asked. Yeah. And we kill ourselves looking for Easter eggs and going over things. It's just as I've gotten older, as I've gotten older, I noticed that I say as I've gotten older, a lot more. (laughs) As I've gotten older, I realized like, man, it's just so much more enjoyable if you just like I'm not saying don't be critical. And I'm not saying don't engage your brain in what you're watching or reading. But let the people who are telling the story tell you their story, they know it better than you do. And then you can decide when it's over whether you liked it or not. Oh. telling people how their story is supposed to end and then getting into your head that this is how a story has to end. That's only madness. Screen rant is clickbait. Stop feeding into the clickbait. I don't know. Just just watch it. Have them tell you the story and enjoy it. But anyway, go ahead. But WandaVision, uh, A-OK.
2: Let's go ahead and speculate on some Disney Plus then. Absolutely. <laughs> Dira Varma from Game of Thrones has been cast in Obi-Wan. There's been all sorts of ideas that people have thrown out on who they think she is from
1: Duchess Satine and Satine's the big one
2: I don't think so I nah. I think she's going to be a version of Aline. Annaline that's what I think we'll see
0: I picture her as as Annaline's lusty Zeltron friend
2: oh yeah I didn't think about that she could be
1: I, I don't think it will be aniline I think it will it could be a like I said a an aniline substitute like a character like that yeah. for lack of a better term the the love interest for the show looking at her though she wouldn't make a bad Satine. she would so that's the only thing that gets me thinking about that is like I look at her and I put the headdress on her yeah yeah oh she she could definitely play Satine. and so that's the only thing that maybe you know makes me think that.
2: In other Obi-Wan news, apparently Obi-Wan is going to be on the Andor show. I don't know. Hmm. (laughs) You know, all I wanted was a damn show with no Jedi, just like I want books with no Jedi. I just, I don't want them to overuse him, but who knows? Maybe it's just going to be a quick thing. I don't know. We'll see. Speaking of more Disney Plus, yesterday, the Mandalorian books that were coming out have been canceled. The visual Hmm. guide and the novel have both been canceled. Really? Yeah, they have cited that it is due to the ever-expanding show, whatever, where they want to tell these stories. Some people think it has to do more with Gina and possibly the character being in the book.
1: Oh.
2: Mm. I don't know. I I get the feeling that they don't want to paint themselves into a corner with anything that may be written in one of these books. And they just want to leave that little corner of open right now.
1: But the visual guides and like a nonfiction type thing.
2: Yeah. The visual guide, I can't figure out, but see, even like a visual guide that came out today, a couple of days ago, maybe has some like new Podameron stuff in it. And so those visual guides. Yeah. They've more and more kind of had little details in them.
1: One of the not so secret architects of Star Wars is a guy named Jason Fry. Yeah. Who writes all of those type of things, all of those this visual guides, the you know, the Rebels one, all that stuff. You know, Jason has, is responsible for a lot of the details in the Star Wars Galaxy.
2: And then probably our biggest Star Wars news of the last two weeks on an investor call yesterday. Disney CEO Bob Chapnick has confirmed Kathleen Kennedy is going nowhere. They are going to renew her contract. They are happy with her and they're going to stick with her, which is against what most people thought that she would step down. Her contract is up July of this year. I kind of wonder because she is the Lucasfilm CEO and supposedly she is pretty involved with Willow and Indiana Jones that's coming out. I wonder if they won't keep her as Lucasfilm CEO and then kind of give Favreau or Filoni or one of them kind of how Jeff Johns has that kind of position at Warner Brothers where he oversees the little superhero part of it
1: like a Star Wars czar
2: right exactly
1: (laughs) but yeah have someone who's kind of just the overseer of that property you know considering how much is involved in managing Star Wars as a property Mm-hmm. it's probably too much for someone who's also making Indiana Jones. And I could see them saying to Filoni and Favreau, like you still answer to Kathy, but it's your show to run. Yep.
2: Yeah. So that's all our news for the week.
1: Tonight we're talking about, well, okay, let's back this up. We're talking <laughs> about a book called into the void. It's from a, a series. It was from, a, I guess you would call it, a new era that uh, Lucas Books tried to launch in 2013. There was a book, and there were three comic miniseries, I believe. Yeah. And it takes place at the beginning of the, or not even at the beginning, but it is about some of the very first Jedi. Jedi. We'll figure out how to pronounce it later.
2: I like to keep thinking Jedi. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It takes place 25,000 years before A New Hope, before the Battle of Yavin, so I thought I would give us a little bit of a a refresher on ancient Star Wars history. I think you can appreciate the book more, or the stories more, if you know a little bit about the history um, of the Star Wars galaxy. A brief history of what used to be the history of the ancient galaxy, but is now just legend. The galaxy's prehistoric era ended approximately 100,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. While life across the galaxy was rampant, several civilizations emerged from the unknowable past as established and advanced societies who had already begun to traverse the stars. The foremost and most likely oldest of them all were the Celestials, known to many as the Architects. Little is known about these powerful beings and all evidence of their existence is archaeological. It is thought that they built the entire Corellia system by dragging several pre-existing planets into orbit around a star using insanely powerful repulsor and hyperspace technology. It is also believed that they assembled the Hapes Cluster, the Voltar system, and the Maw, the cluster of black holes near Kessel, using awe-inspiring technology like the Centerpoint Station, which was capable of moving planets with its powerful tractor beams. Other civilizations coexisted with the Celestials, although most, if not all of them, became at best client states and at worst slaves under their tyranny. There were the Gri, a race of xenophobic cephalopods from the Outer Rim, and the Qua, bipeds from Dathomir, who both independently developed their own hypergate technologies, burrowing tunnels through hyperspace to allow near instantaneous travel between two fixed locations but they were both conquered by and made to serve the Celestials. The Sharu and the Kalumi both halted their interstellar expansions out of fear of the Celestials, not wanting to attract the attention of these beings who were always looking for another advanced civilization to conquer and enslave. The insectoid Killix, natives of Alderaan, were used by the Celestials as slave labor to build their wonders. They would abandon their homeworld entirely and be scattered throughout the galaxy, At the demands of their masters, absorbing many species along the way into their collective hive mind. Around the same time, the gray-skinned simians known as the Tongs fought against the earliest known humans for rule over their shared homeworld of Coruscant. Eventually, the humans prevailed and the Tongs were cast from the planet forever. In 36453 BBY, eight great pyramid ships, known as the Tho-Yor, had been deposited across the galaxy since who knows when, and had become part of the landscape of many planets, including Ando Prime, Kashyyyk, Rydloth, and Dathomir. One day they awoke and called out to the Force-sensitive natives of these planets and promised knowledge and peace to any who came with them. The Yor then left those planets and traveled to others, collecting potential force users along the way. By the time the ships reunited and journeyed into the Deep Core together, they carried Wookiees, Twi'leks, Mirluka, Cathar, Deveronians, Nogri, Sith, Zabrax, Celestons, Humans, and other species, and brought them to the Deep Core planet of Titan, where a ninth and larger Yor awaited them. The ships dispersed themselves around the planet and deposited their passengers onto their new home. This is known as the tho your Arrival, and the residents of Tithon date everything in relation to this coming of their ancestors. This diverse group of beings soon recognized how strong Titan was with the Force, and it was perilously so at times, with massive storms that could consume the whole planet, and earthquakes capable of leveling cities, and and untold numbers of dangerous beasts and monsters that lived in the wild and they realized that they had been brought there to study and understand the force they looked to the two moons in the titan sky ashla the bright satellite and bogan the dark moon and they became the embodiments of the two sides of the force the titans formed the jedi order spelled j e apostrophe d a i i whose purpose was to keep the balance between the light and the dark, especially on Titan, a planet so immersed in the Force that imbalance could bring about real physical destruction and chaos. They took their name from the language of the Dai-Bendu monks, Je meaning mystic, and Dai, meaning center. Over the next thousand years, they built temples, cities, and academies, all grouped around the original eight Tho-Yor that had brought them there. As the years passed though, a problem grew. Everyone who had been brought to Tython had been strong in the Force, but not all of their descendants were. The planet was not safe for those who could not touch the Force. So around 34,000 BBY, all Tythons who were not Force-sensitive were made to leave the planet and settle in colonies on Ashla and Bogan before spreading out to the other worlds in the system. By 33,600 BBY, the mysterious Celestials had vanished from the narrative. The details of the Empire's demise are fuzzy, but one thing is known. Their fall came with the ascendancy of the Rakata Infinite Empire. The Rakata were amphibious humanoids with tall craniums and eyes that protruded from each side of their heads on short stalks. They hailed from Lahan, a temperate world in the Unknown Regions. In the past, they had been visited by the Kwa people using their Infinity Gates, And the Qua shared with them technology as well as their knowledge of the Force. The Qua later regretted this when they realized that the Rakata were a cannibalistic and aggressive society who exclusively drew their power from the Dark Side. The Rakata, who were also a slave state of the Celestials, started expanding their borders, traveling to distant systems using hyperdrives fueled by the Dark Side, seeking out other worlds strong with the Force and consuming them. Eventually, the Rakata turned on the Celestials and a mighty war erupted. The Architects were either exterminated by the Rakata, or they fled the known galaxy to the Unknown Regions, perhaps taking the Kilix with them, and crafted the Maelstrom of Wildspace as an impassable barrier to protect them from their former vassals. The Rakata and their self-proclaimed Infinite Empire became the dominant force in the galaxy. Many millennia passed under the rule of these fierce and merciless beings, their brutality only outmatched by their ambition and greed. Their use of the dark side did come at a cost, and they had to keep finding and exploiting worlds full of Force energy to replenish their connection to it. To do this they sent out their Force Hounds, slaves raised since birth, to seek out these Force-rich systems and deliver them to their masters. This is where we find ourselves, in the waning centuries of the Infinite Empire just before the greed and endless ambition turn them against each other. Soon, their civilization will crack under the strain of civil war and slave uprisings, and a deadly, and some say engineered plague, will sweep through them, all but erasing the great and terrible conquerors from the galactic map. Although, when this story begins, they are still very much a dangerous and powerful entity, but their connection to the Force is slipping. For their empire to indeed remain infinite, they must find more worlds to sap of their natural energies, and they may just have found the most potent of all qualifying planets. Titan, home of the Jedi Order for the last 10,000 years. By now, the Titans have colonized every planet in their system, with the Jedi acting as peacekeepers, moderators, and when-needed warriors, while the younger generations train on Tithon, at those eight Thoyor temples built so long ago. In 25805 BBY, a war broke out between the Jedi and Queen Hadea of Shikakwa, the seventh planet in the Titan system, known largely as a refuge for criminals. Known as Hadea the Despot, she led her armies in an attempt to take over other planets in the system, and ultimately made a run at Tython, where her life was ended by the Jedi and with it the Despot War. Peace has returned to the Titan system, but not for long. So here's the thing. This book tells you what, like 10% of that?
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, how would I know that? <laughs> After having read this book, how would I know any of that?
1: Most of it is more general star, history of Star Wars stuff that's been pieced together throughout the entire time. Again, I guess I, said, I should point out none of this even counts anymore. This is a history of the galaxy I have in my head that uh, doesn't exist. So wasted real estate. (laughs) The stuff about the origins of the the Jedi and the Thoyor temples, that stuff comes from the comic books (laughs) and the novel does nothing to explain it at all.
0: And I would just like to point out that if you look at the cover of this novel, it shows a floating Thoyor temple, two of them in the background behind the main character. I did not understand what those were flying around behind her because I didn't read the comic till after I read the book.
1: So Ryan, I think you're the one that pointed out that before reading, if anyone wants to read the the Dawn of the Jedi series, they should start with the zero issue of the comic.
2: Yeah, the best way to understand it, if you read the zero issue of the comic, which really isn't even a comic, it's just kind of like a, hey, here's what's going on reference guide.
1: They've done that before. I think they did that with Legacy.
2: Yeah, they sure did.
1: And Knight Errant maybe did one too.
2: And so that kind of gives you a lot of that info. And then you read the book and then you read the comics. Yes. That helps because, well, one, the book pretty much ends right where the comics start.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of overlap.
2: Yeah, it gives you a much better layout if you read the book before the comics. So kind of what the temples are, why you go to different ones and kind of where the Jedi... Are at during this
1: into the void is the only novel that came out from dawn of the jedi we're assuming they meant to make more uh it feels like i'll say this right away it feels like a beta test for high republic maybe knight errant was the alpha (laughs) i guess because like there were a couple times they tried to jumpstart these little eras that never quite happened yeah this was right up against the disney sale right
2: yeah legacy was super popular
1: Yes, Legacy was.
2: I feel like this is a kind of like, hey, legacy worked going into the future. Let's go back.
1: Legacy never made it into novels though. They always it, it was only comics. We meet Jedi Ranger Lannery Brock on her Peacemaker class starship, returning home to Titan for the first time in four years. She is haunted by the dreams of her brother Dal, who died ages ago during their great journey, which is these guys' versions of the Jedi trials and is not minded all the time alone in space with her obligatory Star Wars saucy droid sidekick. Roger, Roger! But she has been called back by the Jedi Council. They have a mission for her. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, Lannery is kind of an asshole, and it doesn't really get better. Just going to put that out there. She's a prick. Lannery arrives on Tython and is immediately swept into a clandestine meeting with the most powerful masters on the planet. They have news for her. Her brother, Dal, is alive. This does not fill Lannery with joy, like you would guess, because it turns out the Dal may have gotten involved with a criminal organization slash cult determined to descend into Tython's old city, ruins of a settlement they believe that was built by the Gree, but they're not sure, to use what the masters consider a mythical hypergate buried beneath the city. Whether or not the gate is there is inconsequential, because in order to power it, Dal will need dark matter, a fuel source that while my my real world brain understands the concept, the novel itself does very little to explain. You'll find that to be a theme in this book. But if anyway, but if Dal messes with this dark matter, and there is no hypergate, he could rip a hole in the galaxy creating a black hole that would swallow the entire system. So you know, bad stuff. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. After the meeting, in which Lannery is ordered to find her brother and stop his plans, even if that involves killing him, she has slipped some data by Jedi Master Dam Powell, who also taught Lannery alchemy something that pervades this book and is frankly very confusing, especially their definition of the word alchemy. The master gives Lannery a contact, a Twi'lek criminal named Trey Sana that has helped her in the past. On the way to the planet Calamir to find this seedy source of information, Lannery reflects on her brother. And here's where the book gets a little sticky for me. A large part of it is a flashback to Lannery and Dal's time taking their great journey, which reads more like a dangerous version of the time Bart and Lisa went to military school. Lannery is a natural in the force and everyone around her keeps telling her that she's and that she's going to be a great Jedi one day but Dal seems to hate the mystical power that binds the galaxy together I mean hates it and he hates it from the jump he has a hard time finding any kind of peace and is openly defiant against his masters and they all know it (laughs) that's the crazy thing everybody in this book knows that Dal shouldn't be a Jedi and yet somehow they keep trying to train him. He eventually murders a fellow student out of rage, runs into the old city and where he hopes to find clues to where the original Tythons came from and disappears, presumed dead, his bloody clothes left behind for his sister to find, which people should have seen coming because he is simply the worst. And also, I believe it was highly responsible to send this kid off to do these trials when he is clearly uninterested. Everybody from the masters to his parents to his own sister knows that he is not into this. And does not have a strong connection, but they push him anyway. Plus, we already know how it turns out because the book tells us in the very first chapter. These flashbacks are told in present tense, while the present day stuff is told in past tense, which is okay, but kind of backwards and weird. But the biggest problem is that these flashbacks, seeded throughout to show us Dal's fall, come to an ending that Lannery has already told us, chasing him, finding his clothes, and presuming he's dead. That tidbit has dropped so early, so leading us to this dramatic finale in the flashbacks, yeah, we know, okay. Sure, the flashbacks give us a lot of detail about the different Yor on Tython and the training regiments the journeyman Jedi go through, but it still felt a long way to go to tell us something we already knew. Lannery contacts Tresenna on Kalamar. He has a Twi'lek with an abnormal third Leku, who we are reminded many times over has some kind of tragic backstory, definitely has that kind of, uh, I've seen some shit vibe going on. The two of them begin their pursuit of Dal from planet to planet, becoming friends along the way, of course, on Kalamar, a Nogri that may be affiliated with the Stargazers, which is the group we think Dal has joined. And there, those are a group of fanatics determined to get out of the, ty- out of the Typhon system and to explore the stars beyond. He tries to kill Lannery and the little guy does a suicide bomber on her and she survives only by shielding herself with the force. There she also meets with a powerful woman and maybe ex-Jedi named Kara, who is so obese that she hasn't left her apartment in months, but she is also a benefactor of the Stargazers. After Trey kind of unscrupulously knocks her out, uh, Lannery does a little old-fashioned Dungeons and Dragons looting and finds a very old book that is about something I'm not sure I, the book ever got me to care about. They trace Dal's trail from an old temple on Calamar to the mining planet subtly named Nox where the residents live in domed cities to protect them from the uninhabitable environment. On Nox, Lannery does end up finding Dahl, who is pretty much the exact same person he was when he faked his death in Tython, obsessed with leaving the system, finding out where they came from, and willing to kill people, including his sister, to get his way. In fact, he basically commits genocide on an entire city to facilitate his escape. Then they go to the planet known as Sunspot, I think, where Lannery is mortally wounded, and okay, this is the oddest moment of the whole book, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. She heals herself by absorbing a non-sentient kind of creature made from her own cells. And this in the book is what they call the alchemy of the flesh, which sounds like a typo negative album, but not actual alchemy. And she is miraculously healed. We'll get into it. I'm going to need you guys to explain it to me because that scene boggled my mind. They follow Dow back to Tython and chase him into the old city where he disappeared years before and he is determined to find this mythical, or so we think, hypergate, to turn it on using this still very vaguely defined dark matter. Trey is mortally wounded, saving Lannery's life, and she continues on to confront her brother, who is getting ready to activate the hypergate, which exists after all, because of course it does. After a bunch of talking and villain explaining, in which, to be honest, Dal makes a few good points, they fight, and Lannery is forced to kill her brother, chopping his arm off, and I think she drives his sword. These guys don't have lightsabers yet, by the way. They just have swords. She only feels kind of guilty because uh, he is a mass murderer and stuff. Uh, did, but then she sits in this underground temple and considers pushing the button herself to see what happens if she activates the Gree hypergate. But she ends up not doing it. Oh, and it turns out that that Kara woman from a while back kind of set her up, her, set up her and Dal, but that felt like an afterthought. And I wasn't really paying attention anymore. Lannery returns to Tyth- to Tython, unaware that things there are changing rapidly and that a ricotta force hound has crash landed on the planet and that soon the jedi were going to be at war why not mention any of this in the series flagship novel no idea i'm guessing it would have been mentioned in the sequel that never came probably due to the fact that disney bought lucasfilm like a year or two later although not really because the comics tell the whole story of the Rikata and the impending force wars and i can't help but thinking why wasn't that the book
2: you forgot the part with all the poop Oh, yes. The sewage.
1: (laughs) Oh, I didn't. Maybe I didn't forget it. Maybe I blocked it out. The part
2: with the poop.
1: (laughs) The original Star Wars film, A New Hope is infamous for kind of just dropping you into the middle of the action and not really telling you what's going on and letting you catch up. I feel like this book wants to do that, but it doesn't do it very well.
0: But it's also not a movie. It's a book that has all the time in the world to explain things well, rather than jump back to things that don't matter over and over again.
2: It's like they did the opposite of what they normally do. And instead of putting out a prequel comic to kind of explain some things before you get to the big show, they just went ahead and reversed it. Here's this long novel kind of explaining some stuff, but really an unrelated story. And then the comic is the action movie.
1: Lannery doesn't even show up in the comics. Wait,
2: That's crazy to me. I...
1: There's three comic series, and two of them take place fully after her adventure, after she's back in Titan, and she's not in them at all. Yep, and she's
2: supposed to be like this awesome, according to what Master Lamb Dam or whatever her name is.
1: Lamb Damn, thank you, ma'am. Yep.
2: <laughs> you know, she's supposed to be this awesome ranger, and yeah, she never shows up. The masters are the only ones that are consistent.
1: It does remind me of High Republic. There was also the Knight Errant era, that was also one novel, and... A handful of comics and never really took off. Uh, I think that was set about a 1000 years BBY with that Jedi um, Kara Holt, I think was her name. Having just started High Republic, I was kind of taken aback by the, uh, some of the sim- the similarity in spirit, if not actual execution. Mm-hmm. I like this kind of backstory they've created for the Jedi. I think it's interesting, at least it's weird, like the Tho Yor and all that stuff is weird. But we can talk about that more when we get to the comics. So We have Lannery. Why didn't they want to make me like her?
0: I don't know. I kept expecting her to die because she was so deeply unlikable, like she would give her life to save Trey or something.
1: (laughs) Instead,
2: she just leaves him. She gets to the point and she's like, well, he wasn't dead yet, but I had to leave and off she goes.
0: I'm going to heal myself with my force blobfish that I made. And, uh, you know, you're just on your own sucker. Sorry. She had to go
2: cut some more heads off, because if there's one thing you learn in this book, <laughs> Lannery loves to cut a head off.
1: So many heads. So many heads. They, uh, I mean, they said so they don't use lightsabers. They use just really nice swords.
2: In this, and then in the comics, you get lightsabers. It's like, here's what you want, people. Excuse me, force sabers. They're force, force
1: sabers. sabers. They're force sabers, yes. She's just so abrasive and thuggish at times Mm -hmm. in the way she handles people she threatens people a lot now it's worth noting these jedi are not dedicated to the light that is not what this jedi order is about they embrace the light and the dark at the same time they use both of them they just attempt to keep them in balance
2: and you can go too far into the light yeah if you go too far they send you up to ashland and i don't know what you on that one because we never see but
1: that's like a hippie commune you don't need to see that Now, what the what this is all leading to in the grander history of the Jedi is that after the events of this and there's and when we talk about the comics, after the force war that happens, there is a schism in the Jedi and a bunch of Jedi who decide that what they should be doing is focusing exclusively on the light kind of break off from what this from this Jedi order and they end up becoming the dominant Jedi. So so this kind of is the beginning of how the Jedi became so became purely beings of the light side.
0: Well, and I was very confused for a while, too, because some of the descriptions and the way she was talking about herself, you know, being recognized as a Jedi, it made it sound like they were a race. But then they have all these other species there. I'm like, wait, are they a race or not a race? Because they make it sound like, oh, they'll recognize that I'm a Jedi, even though I've covered all my stuff up that shows that I'm a Jedi. Yeah,
1: she's got a badge.
0: She covered up the
1: badge. By far, if you have not read the comics or listen to anything or read anything by far to me the most confusing thing about the book was we are twenty-five thousand years in the past we are in a system where light speed travel hyperspace has not been created yet and yet there are species from all over the galaxy (laughs) in this one system when you go and read the comic and it goes oh yeah by the way they brought all these people together thousands of years ago and brought them here to be jedi then it makes sense
2: (laughs) but hold on hold on i wouldn't say it makes sense (laughs) It does not make sense. (laughs) There's an explanation, but I would not (laughs) say that the stone pyramids with the Imperial signal on it, signal on it, that went and just picked everybody up and dropped them off. That was
1: interesting in the comics. Yeah, that the Imperial symbol is the symbol on the. uh...
2: Also, they shoot lasers now. (laughs) That was my favorite (laughs) in the comic. All of a sudden they start shooting lasers. Yeah, they do. I had forgotten the first time, because it's been so long since I've read this era, this old one. And the first time I got to one of the Sith species, it took me a minute. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about them.
1: Yeah, they look like Hellboy. Yeah. They're a whole race of Hellboys.
0: That's why it threw me off, because, like, the Sith are a species. They make it sound like the Jedi are a separate species, but there's Wookiees here.
1: The Sith are a species, and then eventually <laughs> they get enslaved by, I think, Exar Kun. Yeah, Korriban. During the um, Great uh, Sith War, and uh, then that's how, and then he kind of takes the name Sith from all that. Again, none of this, I keep saying none of this exists anymore, but it never existed in the first place. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's now a, a fake history of a fake history of a fake place. But still, yeah, there was originally a race of red skin beings called the Sith. Um, and Because this takes place before there is any Sith. I actually believe that schism that's coming afterwards helps create the Sith.
2: Yeah, I think Locke, Master Locke, kind of starts that mess.
1: Because you have the Jedi who who say, you know what, we don't think this uh, ride in the line thing is is very good. We think the dark is too tempting. We're going to live in the light. And I think some of the ones that try to stay with the old ways probably fall farther into the darkness. Mm -hmm. And that's how we kind of get the two sides of things. But they never got to tell us that story. The most important thing that happens in the whole Dawn of the Jedi thing is uh, the Rakata invading. The book touches none of that. It's crazy how they would launch this entire thing, and the book touches none of what the big story is.
0: Well, like I was saying earlier, if I had not gone back and read that comic after I finished the book, I was so confused as to why there's these force storms happening on Titan just because a ship crashed. It doesn't explain any of that. And then I read the comic and I'm like, oh, Titan is tied to the force, and if the force is not in balance, Titan will kill them. That's yes. information I could have used yesterday!
1: Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's such a small little story in this book. It's just, it's just, it's not particularly compelling. I wasn't joking. Like the the flashbacks lead you to a point that we already know in the first chapter. Even the details of it almost.
2: Yeah, they're just set up. They just show you how the Jedi train. That's the only reason they're there. Is to show you like what happens in the temple and who's in charge
1: when the climax of that storyline is dal's disappearance and presumed death and we are told at the beginning of the book that oh yeah he's not dead and we are told exactly how he disappeared like it just it just felt so anticlimactic like there was no there's nothing new that she could bring to it other than the fact that he killed somebody before he left but it's like he's already we've already watched him murder an entire city like you're not gonna make us hate him anymore
0: oh no he killed a guy <laughs> I mean, I think if he had, like, found a gate down
2: in Old City when he was younger, or, like, there had been some sort of revelation.
1: Yeah. But there wasn't. There was nothing. But we don't leave her point of view, so we don't know what he sees. Right. How irresponsible is it to keep training him?
0: He has zero interest in being there the entire time. I get, you know, his parents, nope, you're going to go off and be a Jedi. But the masters of these temples to not say, yeah, you're not into this, are you, dude? They keep saying it. Yeah, They
1: keep saying he's not into it, and but his sister's like, eh, he'll get the net hang of it. And she doesn't even believe it. <laughs> yeah. Never mind me, Jedi Master. You must
0: know better than me.
1: Yeah.
2: I guess I kind of got, they thought maybe he would open himself to the Force as he did his journey.
0: Okay, but then by the time you get to the last temple, like, all right, buddy, you've had, what, seven other temples to get this right. See, that's where
2: I started to think, because they almost see, made it seem like the master of that temple was starting to do something shady with him because they would like take Lorelai and she would go train over here in the weird alchemy land. And they said like he was going somewhere else and training some on something else. And I was like, Oh, maybe they're going to do make him some assassin or something. Nope. Never said.
1: I have a different explanation for why they're doing that, but I'm afraid it would offend your profession. (laughs) All right. I feel like they're being taken out of class every afternoon uh, to go to their special class. Yeah. He's, he's getting his remedial studies on. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, there's no evidence that he has any power whatsoever. Because it's not just that he's not into it. It's that he doesn't seem to have any aptitude at all. He is, he, he's a good fighter, but not with the force. So that's no, why, f-
0: kind of like, Shwek would have been right if they'd been training him to be some kind of assassin. That would have made sense. Mm-hmm.
1: It wasn't a red flag when the, the Jedi trainee shows up with a blaster and just starts shooting stuff?
0: Yeah, I think after that first incident, it would have been like, a uh, so
1: time to get real here. At least lock that blaster in like the principal's drawer until the end of the semester.
2: What I understand is, too, they never really explain why he hates the Force so much. And he's angry, like, you're a slave yeah. to this, the Force controls you, blah, 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 blah. What did the force do to him? Yeah, he grew up with these nice artist parents and everything's cool like there's no point where they where he essentially becomes radicalized. You would think there would be something that would happen.
1: Yeah, we never get any indication as to why we know we know what he tur- what he turns into.
0: I get right. a kid rebelling against his parents who are poets and painters, and like I'm going to go be bad. But that's not the reason you go and start murdering people. That's the reason you go like start smoking.
2: Maybe it was just he had a low MDC, and so he can't <laughs> access the force, and that made him angry. But they don't do a good job of explaining that or making you feel that's the.
1: You're correct. If his resentment was that he wasn't able to touch it, his resentment was that it seemed so elusive to him while it was so easy for his sister. Yeah, I could see that. And maybe that's supposed to be there, but it's not right. It is absolutely not. He is a bad seed from the moment we meet him to the moment she chops off his arm and shoves a sword into his head. Very yeah. graphically, by the I way. I
0: couldn't get why she cared about saving him other than the fact that it was her brother. Cause he's he's never nice to her. He's awful to her. Like, you know, could you at least flash back to a time where he was a halfway decent person so that I can care?
1: There's a few times in the flashbacks that shows them as like very little children where they're getting along. Mm-hmm. But once they get to like teenagers, they hate each other and he seems to have I mean, there's a moment in the in the book where it says that she was She felt that there was this distance growing between them. And worse yet, she felt like he was happy about it. So there's no real fall there. And what is his obsession? It's with figuring out where they all came from?
2: I saw it less as figuring out where they came from. And I kind of get the Stargazer story. I think there's an interesting story there. And look, these stupid ships brought all of us here. And that's great. You have your Force Jedi planet. You're all having a great time. Yeah. But now the rest of us are stuck here on this dump and we want to go home. I think that might've been part of where the books might have gone. They seem to indicate at the end that the stargazer story is longer and there's a lot more going on with it.
1: Well, and that that at the end she's considering whether or not she should have activated the gate. Right. You know, whether she made the right choice killing him or at least made the right choice stopping him. Mm -hmm. His character just doesn't work for me at all. There's there's nothing to hold on to there. Yeah,
0: I don't at any point in this book care about him, so I don't care when she kills him because I don't much care about her.
1: Let's talk about the only character that anybody cares about in this book, Trey.
0: (laughs) I like Trey.
1: He's the only one that anybody like. He's the only cool character.
0: Okay, but his Leku freaked me out. (laughs) He's he's like signaling her with
1: his Leku. (laughs)
2: They used to do that in the old EU, though. I had forgotten about that.
1: I did, too, and I was like, ew, weird. You got to have a scoundrel in every good Star Wars book, and it seems like every Jedi story, you got to have a scoundrel they team up with for a while, Mm -hmm. you know? Every story's got its
0: hooker with a heart of gold.
1: And I'm not sure he's got a heart of gold.
0: It's plated. He just wants a way out. That's all he cares about. And okay, before we get too far into Trey, how weird is it that Jedi are basically experimenting on Other life forms.
1: Well, they're not good guys yet. I think that's one thing people have to understand with this. They're not really good guys yet. It
0: still seems so messed up. that Because even Lannery is kind of disturbed by the fact that her master has been toying with his brain. and.
1: Yeah, while she's got that crap in her closet. Sure. All right. Okay, lady. They
0: make it a point
2: to say that crap in her closet is from her arm, which is gross. (laughs) (laughs) But... It's
0: got one of her eyes.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, screw it. Okay, we, we like Trey. That's fine. So, um, <laughs> I don't even remember. Does he die?
2: No, he no. gets real sick at the end and was vomiting everywhere. No, but then he
1: gets shot, he, gets, shocked, and he gets
0: shot. And then she drops him at a temple.
1: Yeah,
2: at the end, they're like, and he was fine. And he was like, wait, what?
0: Yeah, he had a hole in his neck. <laughs> yeah.
1: Once the brother was dead, I kind of checked out. What was up with the, the alchemy thing? Anybody? So,
2: they don't know what alchemy means? Well, there's other alchemy they talk about in the comics which makes a lot more sense. Like there's like they're they have all these different rooms in the uh whatever I can't remember what that temple's called.
1: Rank or Dragons.
2: Yeah, they're making all this junk. There's chemical alchemy they're doing. I'm blah, sorry, blah, but
0: Rank or Dragons named Butch.
2: Also, how did the rancor get there? Did the Thou pick up a Rancor on the way to sorry? And a, we'll get and to that. a dragon. <laughs> and a dragon. A crate dragon?
1: I'm guessing like maybe it was a Noah's Ark situation. So when they left Dathomir, they just took a couple of Rancors with them? I guess
2: so. So Force Alchemy. It it appears <laughs> that they are like experimenting with keeping their own cells alive outside of their body and growing them and she's real good at it because they talk about when she first sees it these guys just have blobs of living cells but hers has like a gross little arm she has like a little quato (laughs) (laughs) now how the little quato saves her life i'm not
1: real sure she just shoves it in there
0: that's some dark side shit i'm sorry that's super dark and they say it is
1: yeah, it's definitely
2: dark side, and that's why she hides it. And old Lamb Dam or whatever his name is, like
1: it makes that Force whip seem pretty tame, by the way. Yeah, but that one girl was that's rocking in High Republic. Like
2: <laughs> she yeah. was
1: growing a, she was growing a second her in her closet, you know.
2: And all I can think is, I guess you're imbibing this part of you with the Force to save for later or to use. Because she does it at one point too. She uses her little alchemy powers on like some dust mites and they go in somebody's brain. Oh, yes. Yeah, and she makes them forget. and But for a minute, I think, oh, it's just, you know, how we're going to do a Jedi mind trick and she's going to erase this memory for the last hour. No, no, no. She's going to erase everything of who he is and maybe it will come back. <laughs> I read that and I was like, whoa, we're a little dark. Again,
1: she's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> they all are. Like, I, that's not necessarily a critique. Her being unlikable, I do have a problem with the fact that they're not good guys that they are they use their powers in ways that you know our our Jedi uh, you know old Republic Jedi would not appreciate or approve of at all lots of Jedi mind tricking
0: not just mind tricking mind control mind twist that's what he calls it the mind twist
2: force punching that's the other big one
0: (laughs) I love the term force punching
2: (laughs) (laughs) they force punch like a thousand people
0: Every time I read that term, I laughed to myself. Force punch.
1: I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't come up with a better way to describe it. I couldn't come (laughs) up with a better way. Like, it's a force punch. What do you want? We call it a force push and we don't laugh.
2: I just pictured, like, you know when Hal Jordan makes the Green Lantern, the little boxing glove, (laughs) a shield come out of his ring? That's what I imagined every time. Oh, it was the force.
1: See, I was trying to figure out what combination of buttons I had to hit in Street Fighter. Yes, <laughs> me too. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta roll the stick forward. It's kind of a. Hadouken.
0: Most of their fighting consists of force punching.
1: I did like that the fighting was a lot more physical because they didn't have lightsabers as much, but the fighting was very physical. Yeah, using the force to punch each other, to shove each other a, a lot more than you see later period Jedi do, where they have t- seemed to have taken on this, uh, or at least adopted a duelist attitude
2: a lot less flipping these jedi don't flip very much
1: <laughs> it's hard to talk too much about the book itself because it seems so inconsequential compared to the comics
0: it truly really is the book was okay to me it was it was fine it was all right but then i went and read the first issue of the comic tonight and i was like wait what why wasn't i reading this all along instead
1: when i was skimming back through the book to write my synopsis having now read the comics i was like oh oh, no oh. Oh, yeah, that's what that is. Okay. They never explain what a Tho-Yor is. They just say, keep saying the term.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I almost stopped reading the book and canceled the show when it was like, oh, yeah, they're hanging out with Wookiees and Sullustans and Twi'leks and Nogri in this system that no one leaves. Where, where are they all coming from? This is so stupid. And You know, the comics at least fix that. There were three comic series. Do we know, did they come out after the book? They
2: come out kind of simultaneously. The first one is Force Storm, which is five issues, and that starts in late 2012. So they kind of came out about the same time.
1: Okay, so that's actually before this hit shelves. Yeah. Ah, okay. So if you were reading it in real time, you probably would have read, if you read comics. Beth reads the books, but doesn't read the comics that often, so that's not a given, right? Right. You would have known a little bit more. I just find like her story is so displaced from everything else we learn about this period and and is by far the least interesting thing in this little era th- that they came up with. So let's talk about the comics. There's Force Storm, the Prisoners of Bogan, and then the Force War, I think, of the three series.
0: Yeah. I am only on issue four of the Force Storm, so I am not that far in, but I can tell you
1: already I'm like, wow, this is way better than the book. Well, it was written by John Ostrander.
2: Yep. And he brings some other people in here and there.
1: But Ostrander had written, has written a lot of Star Wars comics. I mean, he was the main writer on Legacy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And also wrote some Old Republic stuff. Ostrander's written a lot of Star Wars. So I, I, it didn't surprise me to find it a little more familiar territory uh, when I got into the comics just because of who was who was writing it. This entire story is about the Jedi having a run-in with the, with the Infinite Empire. That's not in the book at all. That's what all of the comics are about
0: kind of important to the time period.
1: So as we get to the end of the the novel Into the Void, which I still again I don't quite understand the title. I don't know what Void. I guess the deep city is the void, the old city.
2: It was going to open up the hypergate.
1: All right, fair fair. It's still generic but fair.
2: Also, hypergate does not line up to what happens in the comics. But we'll get to that.
1: So as she's coming to Titan near the end of the book she can't land there because they're having this giant force storm. And it turns out that giant force storm is the plot behind the first comic. So the first comic book is actually happening while she's in orbit around the planet. We meet a force hound. Yes. She works for the Rakata. We we meet the Rakata. We first heard about them in Knights of the Old Republic.
2: Yeah, they're mentioned in that.
1: Because I know the idea of the infinite empire goes back forever. Right. So we meet this force hound. We actually meet a couple of force hounds. It's so funny, like the comics also have this kind of running sub theme about these two force hounds that were kind of raised together that are kind of in a parallel to me with Lannery and Dal. Mm-hmm. And they're much more interesting.
2: Oh, way more.
1: Kesh is sent to Tython. The Rakata need to basically, I don't know, it's like they're the Skeksis from the Dark Crystal <laughs> and maybe the Spaceballs where they have to go from planet to planet and suck up the air or the force or whatever they need to replenish themselves. I couldn't figure out exactly how they did that.
0: By eating them, apparently. I just saw them killing a whole bunch of people. Like, they pick out all the
1: Force-sensitives and kill them.
2: And eat them. <laughs> yeah.
1: Can you call it a cannibal if it's a different species?
2: I mean, I'm thinking they're sucking up midichlorians.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could see that.
2: And part of what they do is they, when they go to these Force-sensitive worlds, they steal a bunch of people. And then they put them in these pods. And they, oh, that's right. They yeah. make them slaves, and then they suck the dark side out of them.
0: It is like the Skexies.
2: Yeah. And that's how they power their ships. That's how they power everything is through these people in these ponds.
1: Yeah. And then Neo shows up. We, we get it. We've seen it. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the real world. They do admit in the, in the comic, though, that they're losing their grip on the dark side, right? They're losing yeah. their grip on the force. An important thing to note about Kesh, he has a laser sword. A force saber. That our Jedi have uh, never seen before. And don't know how to work. Yeah. And, and apparently, and here, here's a crazy little detail that we learned about the, the force saber that will become the lightsaber is that they can only turn it on by getting angry.
2: You gotta put your hate through it. And uses a crystal, though. Like, it, it apparently, that's all that's in there. It's a shaft with a crystal in it. And then you just <laughs> get real angry. Shaft. And <laughs> grow your laser. <laughs>
1: Uh, sorry, I'm 12. Once they take his, his Force Saber from him, only a few of the others are able to use it, but then they learn how to build more.
2: You know, towards the end, that's part of what leads to the division, is the Jedi yeah. decide we're not going to use this anymore. Master Lot goes, nope, I like this thing. And, I mean, they were very clearly setting up lots of big things to happen past this. Like, the end of yeah. the comics... Master Ryu, like, says. She opens a holocron. She knows why the Thogior brought them there, the whole point of it. They don't tell you what it is, because I guess <laughs> that was going to happen next. But even in the book, they leave the Stargazers off kind of as a mystery. They The big expensive ones that have all the money disappear, and they say they were probably in charge and doing something else, and they're the ones that set all
0: this up. They left it open for Dal to be alive again. Yeah. Because they don't find his body.
1: But what's so weird is... Uh, she cut right into his face. Like, yeah. literally cut right into his face. Right, they were very but- graphic about how she killed her brother.
0: They also make a really strong point about, well, you know, they went to retrieve the body and it wasn't there. Oh, it must have just been predators. They wouldn't have mentioned that if it wasn't a setup.
1: That's a good point. I think they were, yeah, they were setting up for this kind of wider conspiracy, I guess, that she'd be chasing. Yeah. That would eventually tie into the bigger story with the, with the ricotta.
2: And what I can't figure out, so the whole book is, you know, him trying to open the Piper gate that doesn't line up to where the gate is in the comic. By the end of the comic, they opened the gate like mystery solved. We've got it. We know how to do it. Now they destroy it. But so then I couldn't figure out like if there were to be a second book. I don't know. It felt weird. It felt like the book wanted to keep going in a direction of gates and all that stuff with the stargazers. And the comic kind of ended that and said, well, we got that answer.
0: Well, they probably didn't have time to write a
1: novel before the buyout was planned. The MacGuffins in this book perplexed me, and I did not care about them. I understand the idea of the hypergate, and I think that could be interesting, but like, can you tell me what the dark matter was, what form it takes, how it's transported, what, what they're so afraid of with the dark matter? Like, I get why you'd be afraid of it. It's, anti- it's basically antimatter.
2: It was a cube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It came out of the ground, and they put it in a machine, and that machine... Something
1: in the very first chapter was like, he'll need dark energy to operate it. And I'm like, what's that? Please explain more what this is, because this isn't something that we talk about in Star Wars at all.
2: I mean, I guess the dark energy could have done it. But I mean, they opened the gate in the comic and it's cool. Nothing happens. Like,
0: okay, I thought the world
1: was gonna end if they opened the gate, though. (laughs) No, that was the whole point of this book. (laughs) The world was going to end if he if there wasn't a gate and he tried to do it and didn't know what he was doing. Like it, it, it wasn't that there couldn't be that this gate couldn't be opened, although. I think there are ulterior motives to not wanting the gate opened well they keep yeah. saying there's no gate but they're lying well okay so that was
2: the question I had too because the Jedi set traps in Old City when she goes
1: back it's such a d it's such a d d adventure yes yeah, these <laughs> like
2: lame ass laser traps that reminded me of uh, Indiana Jones in the last crusade yes like going down and they're like ah uh, he's already been here so they're talking about that this gate was made by the Gree who were giants apparently yeah and built hell sewers that's an old city but then the gate we meet in the comic is at the bottom of the great abyss chasm place which is very different in the books and the comics did you notice that yeah in the book they're like there is no bottom no one ever comes out and then in the comics they're like well there's this like layer that you can't go through and it makes you crazy and it looks maybe like 40 feet down
0: <laughs> so <laughs> Well, I mean, it's got acid pools. Maybe it makes you crazy with the acid pools. Yeah.
1: By the time we got there in the comics, I had decided to give myself over completely to the comics. <laughs> <laughs> I had completely forgotten any of the details from the book because I was like, ah, oh, this is so much cooler.
2: The book, they like look down this hole and there's like storms down there because it's so deep.
1: It's a little inconsistent. I choose to. I choose to go with the comic on this one. Yeah. I believe the idea of the Force War was something that was already established that had been mentioned in other things because I got a lot of my information for my little recap or my history lesson from my Star Wars encyclopedias, my Star Wars Essential Chronology, and the Star Wars Essential Atlas, all of which were printed before Dawn of the Jedi. And they mentioned the Force Wars in those books. Uh, they mentioned a lot of the things from this story in a very vague way, that just the Infinite Empire came into contact with early Jedi, that there was a thing called the Force War, where it was kind of the first war of, that could be seen as Dark versus Light, when
2: you read the comics and how it's broken up, all of a sudden it starts jumping like crazy. I think between the first and second book, a good year goes by. And obviously very important plot things happen. And you get just a really small narration box. And so it feels like they were like, all right, got to wrap it up because Marvel's about to take over the comics.
1: Because the whole thing was leading up to this force war.
2: Right. And the work is real quick. Now they talk about there was lots of battles on different planets. You hear that the other planets kind of come in and out of helping them, but you don't see any of them, which is odd for such a big thing. So yeah, I think they they just knew they had to wrap it up and he wanted to tell the major beats of his story. And that's what it feels like. It feels like we're seeing the major storyboard beats of what was supposed to be a years-long thing.
1: You know, sometimes you just got to rush through it. So Bran could be king. We all know. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely it definitely feels that way um, that they that they they had something bigger planned. I did like when you get to the Force War, which is a terrible name, but I did like when we got to that, that it kind of did set up a template of two Darksiders leading one side. There was a very kind of. Master and apprentice Sith thing going on with the two guys, even uh-huh. though there's no Sith yet. They're not quite dark Jedi, but they have embraced the dark side and one's more powerful than the other or more you know knowledgeable than the other. And it really does, in a, I think in a fairly subtle way, does kind of show you a relationship we're going to see later with Exar Kun and Ulik Keldrama. And um, and then obviously in more modern and with Darth Bane and Darth Zanna, so I, I thought that was kind of neat that it did kind of set up like what the battles between the dark and the light were going to look like for you know millennia to come.
2: And they kind of set up the language with that relationship too. At one point, Locke says something about "you'll call me master" when he gets mad, and that part's kind of neat.
1: thing is, it's all very interesting, but it's not like <laughs> the world building is interesting.
2: It's too rushed. I think you give this story a really long berth and let it play out a little more, and it's better. It's just so weird that, like, you go from the Force Storm to the Force War, and like, Master Locke goes from being locked up on Bogan and then thinking he's crazy to like the next comic, he's leading the army and is the general.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: And they don't really talk about it, they just say, yep. He was right. He had this vision. He was right. Come on down to lead our army. Here's your lightsaber. You just got to hate really hard into it.
1: The entire second story, The Prisoners of Bogan, is about Locke and Kesh.
2: Oh, yeah. That's from those two. Yeah.
1: It's their middle story about them kind of becoming this kind of duo. And yeah, Locke had this vision of basically the war to come. And everyone thinks he's crazy, and he went to the dark side, he went nuts, and so they stuck him on. So when someone goes to the dark side in this world, or too far to the dark side, they just shove him up on one of the moons and tell him to sit in the corner and let him know when their hissy fit is over. Basically what I tell my daughter when I tell her to go sit on the stairs until she can be a rational human being. They kind of put him in timeout, but they then they put two of them up there at the same time, who meet and become this duo. But everyone's like, yeah, maybe his vision was correct, but he's still been crazy, And then, but at the end of the, end of the second series, you're right. He's still considered a crazy guy and a bad guy. And he had led a, he had led like a a revolt against them. And then, and then, and then the third thing, you're right. He's their leading general.
2: Yeah. You know, whatever. They don't even mention the time that him and um, Zesh broke out. Like he used his force powers to take off their tracking Lojack, which by the way, did the Jedi not think that that might happen? And the stupid droid like falls for the blanket over the head and it comes in, like, you've been asleep for three days and he's gone. Like I said, there's some really interesting ideas. There's one little part where they kind of explain what the timeout is about. And I think it's really interesting if they've gone into it. Like, if you go too far to the light and lose your balance, you go to Ashla. If you go too far to the dark, you go to Bogan. And the reason is when you are sitting on Bogan you can only see Ashla. And so you're supposed to meditate on what you can see because you can no longer see Bogan because you're sitting on it. And the same goes for the opposite. And that's how you get into balance, which I think is really cool. We never see it. We get one sentence about it. There's kind of, uh, what's his name? Hawk, which God, his name is Hawk. (laughs) Hawk talks about where he got sent to Bogan and that's what he did. And I guess it was useful. Yeah, the names are my favorite because you have all normal Jedi names, and then Hawk
1: and Jake,
2: Jake, <laughs> Jake, <laughs> and, and Jake looks like uh, a bunch
1: of wannabe Kevin's.
2: <laughs> Jake and his sister, who look extremely out of place and look like they should be in like a Gen thirteen comic. They have like long yeah. blonde hair. For some reason, his sister wears like see through green Jubilee glasses. It's very <laughs> odd.
1: She'll become a bigger character, Beth, as you get further. But I really like Trill, actually.
2: I like Trill, yeah.
1: She's the, she's the other Force Hound. Oh, yes. I have only seen her once yet. She ends up becoming a much cooler character. If I were given more books of this
0: era to read, and they were all of this ilk of this first book, I don't know that I would continue
1: that far, but I am far more interested in the comics. So thinking in, the, in those terms, we've, we've talked about here about um, Taika's movie and how there have been rumors... That Taika's movie was going to at least touch on something like this, right? About Donna. Now, but you said people have actually tracked imagery.
2: Yeah. So when you watch the announcement that Kathleen Kennedy makes, there's a Yor behind her. It looks like the cover of the book almost where it looks like Tython and the Yor ship it's kind of like the one on the cover where you can't see the Imperial signal real good. Um, it's more, you just see the triangle, but with that and the logo they showed for it, it is kind of the stone agey looking star Wars. So yeah, I mean, I, I, it's going to be something probably Dawn of the Jedi. Now, Is it going to be the book? Is it going to be?
1: See, I have I have I'm of two minds. One, I think like there's no way they would make an adaptation of this little book and comic series that nobody cared about and didn't go anywhere. But then I also think like maybe that's a great place to find material Mm -hmm. and and that it would be because not a lot of people know these stories. If I had to guess, it would be if his movie does take place during those times, I would say it's somewhere in between. I would say they probably make up a whole lot of new stuff and maybe use a little inspiration from what's there.
2: Yeah, my thought is it's going to be basically the start of the Jedi with Ashla and Bogan and Titan, and that's about it. Like, here are these people that live on this planet, we're going to start the Jedi. But I mean, don't forget, like, this planet is on the Mandalorian. Nothing like we see in this book and comic, but...
1: But it's 25,000 years ago, so... Right. You know, I, I, yes, we did see Titan on the Mandalorian, that's where Yoda sat in that little... Uh, light tube and meditated and so so it that has been established um i don't know it 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 seems unlikely to me that it would be like an adaptation of this story but it could be inspired by in the same way that a lot of this other stuff could be
2: because i think with him like you know we know this is a one-off movie it's not planned as a trilogy or whatever so the book is almost too little story and the comics is way too much
1: but there are some, and, and you're better with these things than me, Ryan, because you're just, you're, both of you actually are, just because of my memory. There are some, f- some terms and stuff and phrases from this that we still use in Star Wars, right? Like the Bendu?
0: Yeah. The Dai Bendu. Um,
1: Do they still use Ashla and Bogan in anything current canon?
0: I was thinking Ahsoka that. went by Ashla. Yeah.
1: She did, yeah.
2: I was trying to think on Rebels if they ever said Ashla and Bogan.
0: I don't think they did, though. I don't think they did either.
1: Because the Bendu were an order of monks from the planet Andor Prime who were, were amongst the first to step into the the uh, pyramid ships. And they've historically been something that people have thought turned into the Jedi Order, that they were, that they were a predecessor of the Jedi as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess this book kind of makes some hedges its bets and says, yeah, they were a predecessor to the Jedi, but they weren't. They weren't the only one.
0: But also that that uh, force creature from Rebels that helped them out was called Bendu, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's just the word. I, I don't know. I mean, it, they've definitely kept it is important to remember, though, this book came out, like we said, in 2013. The series was 2012, 2013 type of thing. So much of this stuff was already established. So much of the the terminology, um, yeah. these words we're talking about were actually already set up. The ricotta were something we already knew quite a bit about, this was more something that was designed to fit into what was already the EU.
0: And I, maybe that's why it feels so old. This book just felt old to me. It felt like ancient, ancient EU to me because it was so weird with its use of words that often didn't make a lot of sense.
1: Just because she calls herself a bitch. <laughs> just because she calls herself a bitch at one point. This book has some very casual swearing in it for a Star Wars book. It does. In the comics, they do ride a, a, a monster that's half Rancor, half Dragon, like we mentioned. Um, <laughs> they are beast, they're beast Riders a lot in the comics.
0: Yeah. Well, and they don't... What, I, what struck me is they don't mind meld with them, to use you know a term from a different universe. They, they don't come together with a creature like you see the Jedi doing. They do end up doing it once. But they take
1: power over... The creatures. I mean, beast riding is actually a big Jedi part of the Jedi tradition. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of beast riding in the history of the Jedi, at least in the expanded universe there was. I'll say the Rancor dragon was a little much for me.
0: <laughs> call call him by his name. His name is Butch.
1: <laughs> God. I mean, he looked kind of cool, but I'm with you on this. I don't I don't know how, how they get how, how they know what a Rancor is. Like how there's a rancor there, how they have rancor DNA. (laughs) Like it's been 10,000 years since they got, they've been living. The numbers in this book, by the way, are gigantic. They, they are brought to Titan. Our story takes place 10,000 years later. And the Republic still doesn't even exist yet. The time that we're covering the, 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 the amount of time these civilizations exist is so long. um, That it's kind of crazy. Um, Which is, I think, one of the reasons why I was a little and am still a little put off by the High Republic only being like 200 years because I was used to stuff like this. (laughs) So uh, an interesting little peek into the past of Star Wars books and the past of Star Wars itself, I guess. Could this still be canon? Yeah. There's no (laughs) reason for it not to be.
0: I mean, whatever
1: exactly it was so long ago
2: i could read some book about thirty six thousand years ago on earth and be like look is this
0: true or not (laughs) you'd be like i mean i guess i don't know you can't tell me it isn't you weren't
1: (laughs) there but i also think in the spirit of it i i I think it i think it still holds up yeah uh, the ideas behind it um you know they're a little wacky but at times but uh, but this i think what i came out of it more than anything was this vision of the very very earliest jedi not being as concerned about the dark side. Now, that was a lot of Jedi talk. Sorry, that was a lot of jet die talk. <laughs> Jedi! 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 Talk. So, uh, what are we going to read next, Ryan?
2: Oh, get ready. <laughs> get ready for an approximate hour and a half of me gleefully talking about what may be one of my new favorite Star Wars books.
0: Oh, I can't wait to start reading it now.
2: Victory's Price the final Alphabet Squadron book. Spoiler wor- alert, the words Jason Sandella are written in this book.
1: Oh, now I got to start reading it. I know people listening and my co-hosts are used to me talking too much, and I get that. I get that. Trust me, I know. That won't be a problem next week. Oh. Uh, next, next, next episode will be all Ryan. It will be the Ryan show. <laughs> we're not going to be able to stop him.
2: I'm already halfway through my second reading of this book.
0: I was wow. worried you weren't going to finish this book because you were too excited about Victory's Price. It's so awesome. We were still talking about this book when you were like, yeah, victory's price is awesome. I'm like, dude, read the other book first.
1: <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'll finish it eventually. I got to read <laughs> victory's price first. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm, I'm probably the, the least excited about alphabet squadron out of the three of us, but I'm still very,
0: I'm excited to see where it's going because the second book was so much
1: better than the first. And then after that, we're going to take a ride to the future and, um, Check in with Captain Phasma. Hopefully you'll be pleasantly surprised, Chad. I'm still waiting to find out who this Captain Phasma is. I was told they were going to be a character in Star Wars and, you know, they didn't really make an impression on me. So <laughs> I'd like to learn more.
0: Do you like
2: mining? There's a lot of mining in that
0: book. <laughs> I don't mind mining. I'm okay with mining. <laughs> Nobody mines any spice, just so you know. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for this. Uh, it was a real eye opener tonight for me. And uh, I will be reading more comics. And thank you, everyone, for joining us as well. And we will see you guys soon. Today! (laughs) You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.
2: Roger, roger.